0: This is Transcripts.
1: The state of transness in America, the state of Blackness in America, the state of sexuality in America, everything that I care about. Housing, discrimination, education.
2: Sharing space, sharing story, sharing experience. And that, that is the work. That is the work that I'm so honored to stand here and lift up for you today.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Transcripts and welcome to a new administration for those of us in the United States. It's so hard to understand exactly what's going to change for trans people in the United States and internationally. I was just giving a Zoom talk with a bunch of college students, like just now, and one student had an amazing question about how we can think about transness internationally without erasing the specificity of gender in different cultural contexts, like how gender shows up based on where you are and how you live and the histories of your community. I'm reflecting on that question as I think right now about what it means to be experiencing this big federal transfer of power within one nation and at the same time that leaves intact so many structures of power globally because so much of the world is impacted by historical colonialism and and ongoing imperial power and it's just just a lot, there's a lot to detangle there. So with that in mind, I think today is the right day to say that I'm bringing you a couple of different pieces in the next couple of weeks that focus on transness across borders and different ways of thinking transness. Um, They might not all be in like a series, but there's going to be some coming at you that I'm really excited to share. This first one is a piece called They Them from Phil Corbett's new show, The Wind. And I love, love, love these deeply felt conversations about how language is bringing us beyond the gender binary in English, but also in Tagalog, in Vietnamese, Portuguese, and Hebrew. It's just this really sort of beautiful transnational colloquium of different trans voices. So here's They Them by Phil Corbett.
1: Hey. This podcast is brand new, so if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. I started using the term non-binary for myself a couple years ago. I knew a few people who identified that way, but for a long time my assumptions about those words made me think that they didn't apply to me. But once I started to embrace the vocabulary, So many things began to make sense. The language directly changed the way I understood the world and myself. And still, that language is unfamiliar to a lot of people, and it is constantly evolving. I'm Phil Corbett, and this is The Wind. This episode is called They-Them.
3: Yeah, my name is Avery Hellman, and I use they-them pronouns, preferably. <laughs>
4: um, so my name is Kara bigching and I use they-them pronouns. Non-binary is so broad, So it feels weird to say, like, oh, I'm non-binary because I feel like that encapsulates so many different things.
1: All right. So to start, um, can you introduce yourself?
5: I hate these.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think you can just say your name if that's easier.
5: Okay. My name is
1: M. (laughs) So you use they, them pronouns and identify specifically as non-binary, correct? Uh,
5: I'd say yes. It's not, I think it is, like, an identity for me, but maybe it's more, like, choosing not to choose anything. I mean, there is some sort of pride in, like, owning it, but I don't feel like like a real, like, oh, I found myself, I'm non-binary, you know? It's kind of more like a liberating, like, identity in that, It's choosing nothing.
1: (laughs) So like instead of finding yourself, it's like you lost yourself. You're non-binary.
5: I've released myself from the binary. And now I'm just floating around the (laughs) ether, just doing whatever I want.
6: (laughs) Hello, my name is Tyler Blue Broderick. I'm a musician, and I release music under the
1: name Diners. Did you notice any difference in the way you interacted with people when you started using gender-neutral pronouns?
6: Definitely. I think that I noticed that when people started using them for me, I felt really seen and really respected and just very bright
1: have you noticed any difference in like your interactions with people, um, assuming they, you know, they know your gender identity or your pronouns? Like, have you noticed that those interactions have changed?
3: So when I'm in places where like, you know, people say, say your gender pronouns, um, and it's clear, like made clear who I am. I notice two things. One is that people see me as I am in a lot of ways, but simultaneously, it does make for a much more like tense language between us, which is sad. Um, I feel sometimes people feel very conscious about trying to do everything right. And then sometimes there's this kind of like tenseness of not wanting to mess up and not wanting to hurt my feelings which is great but that makes me wish that I just wish this was already part of the culture and I didn't have we didn't have to go through this transition of like people making mistakes and blah 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 but it's just you know people have to make mistakes they have to try they have to forget and then you know I think I think we'll get there eventually
7: Sure. Uh, my name is Wawu I'm a Nigerian American, trans non-binary, multidisciplinary artist. Um, I do art ranging from film to photography, digital collaging, writing. I'm trying to get into music right now. So kind of just a little bit of everything. Yeah. It really started to expand my imagination of what I could define myself as. Because before I had just called myself a tomboy. <laughs> like I was just like, yeah, I don't like to do these things that girls are supposed to do. So I've always known myself as that, but I didn't know that there were words for that. I didn't know that I could like identify as something else completely. Um, So through that
8: space, I was really able to grasp that language and learn more about it. My name is Tech Woodstock. I'm a journalist and a gender educator, and I make the podcast Gender Reveal. The difference is just that a lot of straight and cis people don't know a lot of people who use they them pronouns and so it's a new thing for their brain to do and it requires practice and it requires speaking more slowly sometimes and it requires thinking before you speak sometimes and we're not always used to doing this You know, I understand that you can't go from zero to 100. And when someone introduces the concept of they, them pronouns to you, the next day you're not going to be like batting a thousand on getting them right. But there are things that you can do to work on it, such as practicing in your own home. Like something that we suggest is like writing a story about someone that uses they, them pronouns or talking about someone in your life who uses they, them pronouns just to practice or even using they, them pronouns for your pets because they don't care if you misgender them because they are animals who don't speak English. And so, you know, start using they, them pronouns for your dog and practice that way. My name is
9: Dana De La Cruz. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I am most aware of, like, gender when I'm with other people. um, I feel like if when I'm by myself, I don't even know if I feel it, especially with quarantine happening. I realize that I don't have to perform gender, right? Because I'm just with myself. Who am I trying to perform it to? I don't know.
5: It feels like an outward thing to address something that's like very inward.
1: Outward manifestation of an inner escape, slouching towards civility.
5: And so if I'm just, like, constantly engaging with it inwardly and, like, comfortable with myself, then I'm not really too bothered
3: with, like, how other people perceive me necessarily.
1: Yeah. So, like, what what do you do?
3: I am, like so many people in our generation, <laughs> trying to be many things at once. But um, I would say primarily I'm a musician and I'm also, like, a ranch manager
1: you also live in a pretty rural place and you like identify as rural to some degree. Um, How, like, how are those things, like, how do they mesh in your life?
3: For me, it kind of like, you know, moves in two places. One is that I feel because I'm alone a lot more, And my relationships to nature are just as important as my relationships to other people in a lot of ways. They're just as consequential that I have more freedom in the sense like I'm interacting with things that don't know gender anyways.
0: (laughs) They don't care
3: like horses or trees or rats or whatever. They don't care. But then when it comes to people I'm interacting with, I just care a lot about being in these spaces and I have to negotiate with the fact that they're they may or may not ever kind of shift to understand gender the way I do.
10: Hello. My name is Jack Victor. When I first came out specifically around gender, I was using the term genderqueer. And I remember even talking with my mom and trying to explain to her I was like queer means weird mom and so I'm like gender weird you know what I mean and she's like no (laughs) I mean change
5: is just change and growth is just natural so it's hard to it's hard to like determine what is because of this change in pronouns and what is it but it's definitely freed up a lot of space to just like engage with whatever I want without thinking about the binary you know because it's present in everything like every single choice that we make is somehow tied to gender it feels like (laughs) yeah
10: I think it's really that makes me think about my work as a therapist so a lot of my work consists around having a radar for binary responses which often are acute stress responses or trauma responses because You know, when our systems are overwhelmed and threatened and we have a perceived danger of like, you know, life threat, we need a binary response to survive that says perpetrator, victim, danger, safety, right? Black, white, and all, nothing. And so, so much of my work is being sensitized to picking up on binaries and helping people have more of a spectrum, more nuance, more gray, so that there are even three options as opposed to just two, let alone three thousand, and so there is this way that I have this deep love of the the term non-binary because not only does it denote more freedom for my gender, but it really aligns with the work that I do as a therapist and a healer because there's so there are matrixes of possibility once you know we have options besides the binary.
11: Um. My name is Lior Gross. I use they, them, theirs pronouns, and I'm currently on occupied Piscataway land in Reisterstown, Maryland.
12: And my name is Eyal Rivlin, and I use he, him, his pronouns. I teach at the University of Colorado and run the Hebrew program here.
1: And Lior, can you uh, introduce the the name of your project and what it's all about? Sure. It's called
11: the Non-Binary Hebrew Project. And we are using the already gendered system of Hebrew grammar and following it in parallel to create a third option that is more expansive.
1: That's how I found you, was somebody retweeted your tweet onto my feed about um, the Vietnamese pronoun, and is it pronounced Chan?
6: It's
4: pronounced Chen. Mm
1: Chen. So can you describe how that works?
4: From what I know, the origins are from the Bay Area, from this group. Um, who would do intergenerational dinners mm-hmm. for Viet folks and like specifically queer Viet folks? At like one of their dinners, they decided to coin this term, Gen. How that works is it's a combination of two titles. So G, which is what you would call an older sister, and N, which is what you would call an older brother. And so they combine the two words to create gen. So that's where it comes from. And I really like it because it also means lemon.
1: (laughs) The reason I reached out was that you came up in another interview and um, they sent me that Vimeo video that you had of like that multi-generational dinner. I wanted to ask you about that project and how that came about.
10: It came together because... I also was grappling with my Vietnamese identity in the sense that I came into the the dinner with a ton of shame and embarrassment that I did not speak Vietnamese as well as some of the other folks there. And so I, people were sharing their pronouns and I embarrassingly said, well, it's not gay, which is sister or like a female pronoun. And I said, it's not an which is, Brother, um, the male pronoun, and then I just put them together with my hands. It's like G and, and then D and N an together it sounds like Gen. And in Vietnamese, Gen means lemon. And it just—it was just like, even though I'm the one who like said it, quote unquote, first in that dinner. Like we all like our energy all came around it together. And we were all like, chan! And it just like became this like inside joke that was so liberating for all of us because chan, as in lemon, is like sour and refresh refreshing. And we just had like, this pun held so much of our healing and our
9: pain together. And so we're like hella fresh. Like the Philippines is home to over 100 languages. Um, and within those, there are so many like regional dialects. So I can only speak for Tagalog, which is like one of the major languages in the Philippines. And in Tagalog, there actually are no gendered pronouns. The default for everyone, no matter who you're talking about, is going to be sha, which is spelled S-I-Y-A. <laughs> yeah, like when when my family first like moved to the United States, um, I remember like, there was so much confusion around, okay, when do you use he, when do you use she? Which is kind of funny. Like, I feel like people in the US or people whose native language is English don't think about that. So it, it feels a little bit different because um, as much as I love like they, them pronouns, sometimes, especially when everyone around you or most of the people around you don't use those pronouns, it can feel a little bit othering. Whereas xia is just, you know, that's it. <laughs> that's what everyone is. Maybe this is even bigger, but there are
4: people in Vietnamese who, like, don't use gen at all, like, people who are non-binary and don't use gen at all, and instead developed a new term, which is gam. What gam means is orange. And so I think we really liked the whole lemon thing um, and decided, you know what, like, we're going to stick with the citrus theme, everybody.
12: One thing that I've noticed, and I enjoy watching, you know, on my, even my family threads on WhatsApp and different things, how the language is evolving. So a few examples that are happening already in the language. Um, for example, in Hebrew, when you address a group, a mixed group, the default is is masculine, masculine plural, is the for a mixed group. And that has been that way for years. However, in the last really... I don't know, three, four years or so. Um, And more and more progressively, people are starting to use an ending that actually holds both the masculine and the feminine. So it it adds two letters. So chaverim is friends, like, hello, friends. Chaverim is, is the masculine plural. And chaverot, ot ending, is the feminine plural. So people are now writing in their text chaverimot, like imot, putting both of them together. It's actually a way to honor the group and its diversity, regardless of, you know, non-binary, just e- even saying, hey, group, and, but not defaulting it to the masculine. That's something that's happening already, even in, in parliament in Israel. Like people are using that, well, women, I should say, are using that in parliament. The language is evolving. And those things have been, are slowly accepted because they're within the thought paradigm.
9: There is a huge debate just on social media and the internet because dictionary.com added Philippinex as an entry um, in the dictionary. Um, And so Filipinos back in the Philippines saw it. And the general gist of the debate is that um, some Filipinos who in the homeland, in the Philippines, feel that one, Tagalog um, and the other languages in the Philippines, are already gender neutral. Women and men will both call themselves Filipino, you know, just because it ends with an O doesn't mean it's necessarily coded as man or male. Um, so they think that changing it to an X is redundant because Filipino is already a gender neutral term. I think the other grievance with the term X um, is that X is not a letter that is um, in Sort of the Philippine alphabets. Um, and so it feels like like a westernization, right, or like a Western encroachment on a Filipino term. On the other side of that debate, right? The Filipinos in the diaspora are saying that, you know, Filipino might be um, might be generally accepted as a gender neutral term in the Philippines, but in the us context, um, we're used to words ending with O having, you know, like a male connotation and then words ending with A having a like connoting like womanness. ness
6: I'm Dan Everton. I am based off of New Bedford, Massachusetts. So my um, my mom and actually my, the whole side of that family actually immigrated from a place called the Azores. The, the default is if you kind of say L or like, especially if the person's in the room, you can say L and it, it, even though technically he, if you use like the subject if the subject you know of is like Maria, which like a big thing in Portuguese culture, especially Portuguese Catholic culture, everyone's name's Maria and everyone goes by their middle name. <laughs> so if you know, so if you know you're talking about Maria and you say L, it's not kind of like a dissonance in a way. Um, especially if you're speaking very quickly because some people do speak that way. But that was one way to cheat. I have actually done Elge, which is like, uh, so Elge is, is the plural, and it is E-L-E-S. And technically, it is proper in Portuguese to use um, E-L-E-S even for a singular. So like the English day, it, it is, it, you can use it for um, for singular.
8: Something that I like to think about It's just that like Oxford English Dictionary has tracked the use of singular they back to 1375, which is actually before singular you. We used to use you as a plural and thou as a singular. And, um... Now we use you as a singular and so whenever cis people are like society is going to collapse if we use they them pronouns because it's too confusing I just like to remind them that society didn't collapse when we introduced a singular you either and like we'll be we'll be okay like we're gonna make it.
11: It is our right as people who speak a language to get to say this isn't quite working for me I'm going to figure out a different way to do this I'm going to figure out a new word for this that describes my experience better, that honors my experience better. And so even though like we can, yes, reach back to Chaucer and say that they, them was used as a single pronoun, I don't think we should have to justify our existence.
7: I'm telling folks that we've always existed, but even more that us in the present, Nigerian queer and trans folks in the present are demanding a grander way of living than what we were previously afforded in our indigenous cultures. And it's just, it's it's happening. Like, I don't like, I can't even explain my excitement and how hype I am, but it's happening right now. Like we are really changing our culture. We are changing the way people behave, people act the way like, we've been allowed to exist. Um, So I'm just, I'm really excited.
1: (laughs) Getting the language for this so dramatically changed my understanding of myself, but at the same time, there are parts of it that are totally lacking and it's not necessarily a shared language. Um, It's becoming more and more shared around the world, but it's not fully universal yet. Um, How is this serving us and how is it not serving us, you know?
3: I guess I'll, I'll say the way that I felt, like, growing up. Like, I just felt so confused being defined, like, as, like, a woman. Like, being called that made me very uncomfortable. I didn't understand that not everybody felt the way I did. And it wasn't that I felt that women were this thing all the same and they were all like defined by these seven factors that made you a woman or whatever. But I, yeah, but it was more like, I didn't like the word. I didn't feel part of that group. I had no qualms with people who were part of the group or with any characteristics they had. It was just like, I'm just not that. And it took me a long time to understand that. And then, of course, the new language that we have in our culture helped me understand that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't, like, insane for feeling that way. It makes me think about this idea of critical yeast.
10: Um, Often in political movements, we talk about critical mass. And critical yeast is around, like, a catalyst, something that makes something grow. The critical yeast of that moment was the magic of not being isolated anymore
7: i feel like in this day and age we hear a lot about afrofuturism and just like i don't know black panther or whatever but we also want to talk about like the future is happening right now like and it's in this present moment like the future doesn't happen in the future it happens in the present moment so kind of what are we doing right now? How are we living right now? Like, how are we making history right
6: in this
10: moment?
6: I, I truly do feel like it's a blessing that this is kind of happening in my lifetime.
10: When I think about linguistic technology or pronouns, whether it's "gen" or they, them, it's, is it serving you? And for me, Jan and they, them and non-binary trans, all of these linguistic have served me very very well.
3: In some ways I think like being out in nature being with horses or animals it feels like that future that we're kind of trying to work towards um, because I feel like that sense of not being seen as this gender that you're not by your external world and not people not imposing these ideas and words and stereotypes on you that are coming from humans. Um I guess in some ways I think that like nature kind of represents that freedom.
11: Language is merely a tool and a vehicle to get to the place we're trying to be which is fundamentally honoring each other's experiences as worthwhile and important and holy and valid and beautiful. Even if we do everything, we can't really encapsulate what it is to be us, but we can definitely try our best to be. Honoring and respectful and seeing how much of a gift it is to get to have language to share that in a more precise way.
7: I would describe this moment as necessary change. It, it was going to happen. It had to happen. Yeah.
6: All right.
4: Bye. See ya.
6: Thank you. You too. Good.
4: Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: Is produced by me, Phil Corbett. The best thing you can do to support the show is subscribe on your podcast app. And if you've already done that, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode on social media. Any help getting the word out is very, very appreciated. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at thewindunderscoreorg or visit our website, thewind.org. The music in this episode was two tracks from the public domain and this song, Parade Cancelled by Lily and Hornhorse. I definitely recommend their EP Republicans for Bernie, and I will link that on the website. A huge thanks to Kara, Avery, Waobiala, Tyler, Dan, Dana, M, Jack, Lior, Ayal, and Tuck for sharing their experiences. And pretty much every single one of these folks has a project bands, podcasts, films, photography, etc. So I will link all of that at thewind.org. Definitely check out their work. To play us out is one of our guests, Tyler Broderick, with their band Diners. Thanks for being here, and remember to keep listening. <laughs>
2: Experience brought on by a classic record. We're driving overnight to the prettiest city I knew of, feeling pretty different. The highway, though I knew I didn't believe in man, I believed in beauty and that's.
0: Thanks so much for listening, and please check out the show notes for links to learn more about this new podcast, The Wind. You really don't want to miss the website, honestly. The illustrations alone are really beautiful, and it's clear that Phil is really thinking like a storyteller in how the show is laid out. It's just so cool. As for us, we're Transcripts, a project of the Treader Transgender Oral History Project, which is a project of University of Minnesota Libraries keep listening for more from us. FYI, we're about to launch some big new things, including a series of virtual community events, some new social media accounts, and more. So as always, please rate and review, share with a friend, and help us grow. Thanks so much. Talk soon. Be well.